It's been a difficult couple of years. Enemies have risen up to afflict us. Pandemic disease, political hardness of heart, delusional cultural movements. Most people are pretty clear that we need some help here. The prayer, come Lord Jesus, seems particularly appropriate. And the word Advent means that which is coming. And for us in the church, it refers to the coming of Jesus, coming in his birth at Christmas, coming in ministry to help a dark and fallen world, coming perhaps again into your heart or into my heart, coming at last with great clarity in that future event we call the second coming. But when Jesus came at first, it was into a world in just as big a mess as ours. It was a world which was politically conflicted, racially segregated, religiously divided, and like many places in our world today under military occupation. The Jews were not strangers to day-in, day-out tension. Throughout the history of Judaism, there existed the same religious tensions that we experience today. Conservatives, liberals, social activists, religious fanatics, militant Jews, skeptics, all, all of them Israelites, who differed in their understanding of worship and of life, but claimed their allegiance to the one true God. For the Hebrew people, there were long-standing tensions between the priesthood with its traditions and sacrificial worship and, and covenant law and with the Old Testament prophets who called them into judgment with their reforming passion and their disdain for religiosity and ethical self-centeredness. The priests and the prophets came at things differently, but both their views were deeply concerned with the life of the community, with the worship of God, and with human conduct, especially with human conduct. Sin has always been a major concern. The priestly way of influencing human conduct was the establishing of laws and holding people accountable to them. Now, obviously, laws reflect the reality that on our own, most people will fail to figure life out and that human beings will not consistently do right. We we will fail to be generous. 
We will ignore the troubles of others. We will not consistently tell the truth, nor will we leave other people's stuff alone. And so we have laws. Laws tell people what they should do and what will happen if they don't do as they should and get caught. And this is essentially the priestly view. It's the way of the temple, the way of the scribes and the Pharisees. The prophetic view did not exclude the scriptures and traditions, but the primary way of understanding God was more personal than historical. God sent persons dreams. They experienced visions. They heard messages from angels. They reported that God himself had spoken to them. And they understood that those messages were not given for themselves alone, but were for their people, for God's people. The prophets felt a reforming zeal for their people to take their religion with full seriousness. Their desire was for a purified community and a return to the heart of God. The prophet saw that he himself and his people had wandered from God's way, that he himself was a man of unclean lips, and he dwelt in the midst of a people of unclean lips. At the time John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, there had been no prophet in Israel for centuries. Temple worship and the priestly hierarchy and the scribes and Pharisees ran things, but still the tension between these views existed. The people were dissatisfied. They were under a foreign military rule. The idolatrous Roman Empire controlled their small nation. Why was their God allowing this? The priestly way was not working, and so it was that John the Baptist began to draw a great following out to the banks of the Jordan River where he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John preached in the manner of the Old Testament prophets. He preached to the multitudes of judgment and of the wrath of God and was not himself afraid to try to scare the hell out of them. But that had not worked for the old prophets and it did not work for John and it has not apparently worked on us either. But it does make us uneasy. John baptized people for forgiveness of their sins, but even yet he said, it's not enough. I'm baptizing with water, but it's not enough. So we ask along with the multitudes and the tax collectors and the soldiers, what does it take to live life right? What shall we do? 
And John's response was this. Well, do right. Don't steal. Don't lie. Be generous. Don't be greedy. Focused on wealth. Bear fruit that is focused in keeping with repentance. Let your behavior reflect your intention. But how to do that? People who repent, repent because they know they're sinners. But what are they to do about it? If they repent today, they're likely to sin tomorrow. How do do you change this? If you've read much in the Bible, you're sure to have noticed that the Bible has a very low view of human nature. A high view of God, but a low view of human beings. The attitude of the inspired biblical writers stands against the postmodern view that we are all okay. As we heard before, the great prophet Isaiah sums up the biblical view by confessing, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We don't just naturally get life right. The biblical evaluation of human life is that it is profoundly precious, seriously flawed, frightfully vulnerable, and that it requires divine assistance. This perspective, of course, is not what people want to hear about themselves. So it's not surprising that such a view is resisted, but, but we're religious people. So if we agree with this biblical perspective, and we realize truly that we are not okay, and that whatever we need to do, we can't do for ourselves, then we may ask, along with those folks at the Jordan River, What shall we do? The temple priests say one thing. The scribes and Pharisees say another. The prophets say something else. What shall we do? It really is a question that comes with our existence. We're going to do something. What will it be? How shall we live? Why are we even here? As it happens, I've turned out to be a religious person. The great surprise to my family, to my hometown friends, an even greater surprise to myself. Religiously, I am Anglican. I'm attracted by reverent traditions and ancient worship and and obviously by a good bit of the priestly worldview, but not all. I agree with the prophets that institutionalized religion, systematized religion, gets distracted from its origins and has trouble keeping the main thing the main thing. 
So I resonate with the prophetic critique of churchy religiosity. But on the other hand, I grew up in the South. I grew up hearing hellfire and damnation preaching. And I know that that can so frighten people that they become even more self-centered than they were before they got religion. And religion that gets focused on me and on my salvation seems a bit of a slippery slope, sliding my focus away from God and back to myself. If religion convinces us of anything, surely it is that we are not the main thing. It's not all about us. And if God is the answer, as we religious types seem to believe, how are we to approach him? By keeping the law? Or by reorganizing the world? Or by reforming the church? Or by making up our minds to do better? And then only to sin again? Well, we need help. And this is where every year the third Sunday of Advent comes to help us. It helps us turn our obsession away from the messy world in which we live. And helps us focus on what is the main thing, which is the coming of Jesus. Amen. Perfect God and perfect man. Begotten of the Father before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Coming to us in the great darkness in which we dwell in the great tensions which swirl around us. Jesus, who is one of us. Jesus, who is the fierce and fiery love of God lived out in a human life. He comes to call us to a life something like his own. A one-of-a-kind, remarkable, astonishing life. He does not reject us because of our flaws. Our flaws are part of the reason He's calling us. He wants us to be relieved of them. And the life we share with Him can transform our deepest wounds and fears into strength and courage for others. He joins us in a life where the assistance of God, which we need, 
becomes our daily way of living. St. Paul said, all this is done by God, who through Christ is changing us from strangers into friends and giving us the joy of making others his friends also. Now, this is not a pitch for Alpha. This is a pitch for Christianity. What then shall we do? Here are some thoughts on this third Sunday of Advent. Do not remain a stranger to Jesus. Become his friend. This is the reason you're here. This is the reason why he comes. And if you don't really have the desire to do this, but wish that you did, don't fake it. And don't make a resolution. You probably won't keep it anyway. Make your wish into a prayer and see what God will do. Ask God to change the desire of your heart. To cleanse the thoughts of your heart by the inpouring of the Holy Spirit. Make this your prayer. Jesus made it clear <clears throat> that God works mainly from the inside out and that we are to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking again and again and again and again. This persistence is what characterizes the Christian life. Jesus said, those who persist to the end will experience the victory of God in their lives. And if this victory of God in us is one in our deepest will, in our heart, and if we persist, which in the Bible is often called faith, we may begin to notice that something is different within us. we may begin to notice that what we want now is different from what we'd ever wanted before. We may sense that we're caught in a gravitational pull toward the things of God, toward things like mercy and truth and righteousness and peace. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, doesn't that sound good? It, instead of personal happiness, we begin to desire personal goodness. Instead of projecting a certain image, we wish to be authentic. Instead of being in control, we, we desire to be obedient. Instead of being put off by the Bible, 
we have a hunger to understand the Scriptures. Instead of a voracious need to be loved and affirmed, something in us wants to step back to sacrificially love others. And often those who seem most unlovable. There's something strange that happens in us. Our hearts seem inclined toward a reality that we've brushed up against before, but never really known. It's an astonishing thing when God begins to win victories in us. People become different than they were before. They're like fruit that other people feast on. Their lives taste good to others, make other people's lives better. They're not little Jesuses. They are themselves uniquely created by God, but made their best selves through encountering Jesus, the living Lord, whose advent sets his people free. So come, Lord Jesus, stir up your power, and with great might come among us even now in the time of this mortal life, that we might make ready your way. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign one God, now and forever. Amen.